but I'm a huge proponent of breath work, physical activity, and then taking care of your mental health. The brain is the most important muscle in the human body. It consumes 30% of the calories that we intake and we don't take care of it. Hey there, and welcome to Headway, a podcast by Catapult Lakeland where entrepreneurs share practical tools and insights so that you can continue to generate ideas and innovate as you move your startup forward. My name is Kristen Strabridge, and I get to work at Catapult, an entrepreneur center in Lakeland, Florida that exists to foster the growth of startups by providing education, resources, and space. Today I got to sit down and chat with Dan Jarvis, Executive Director at 22-0. Dan is on a mission to heal our heroes by completely reducing the number of veteran suicides each day in the United States from 22 to 0. On his journey to help others regain hope in their life, Dan has learned a lot about mental health and how we can exercise the most important muscle in our body, our brain. Outside of the practical tips he will share about how you can become more mentally healthy, Dan is also great at using the power of story to share about his company. So, as you listen, I encourage you to learn as much as you can from this amazing storyteller. So, we are here today with Dan Jarvis, and we are going to be talking about mental health and a lot that goes into that. You have a ton of experience, but can you just kind of start by sharing your story and a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Um, Kristen, thanks for inviting me on here. I, I love telling my story because it gives people hope. I was a infantry squad leader for the United States Army back from 2004 to 2014. Um, my Afghanistan deployment was pretty rough because as a squad leader, you're responsible for the men that are under your charge. And half my kids got medevaced out of Afghanistan. And one of my kids was killed. Doug was the soldier that we lost, and it was August 19th, uh, 2011. Uh, we were escorting an explosives team off-road to the base of a mountain to link up with another platoon that found an IED up on a mountain. Uh, IEDs is, is an improvised explosive device, and my job in the lead striker was to find the IEDs before we hit it. You know, when you're dealing with things that are buried underground, and, you know, if you don't see anything that indicates you, you typically just continue mission. And then I heard the IED explode in behind me in the convoy. So I looked back and I saw it was our MGS striker, our main gun system. And unfortunately, that was the only striker that we had on our convoy that was still flat bottom. We had already transitioned to double B hulls. So if we took a hit, you know, we were pretty safe. But we ended up losing Doug that day. And I felt very responsible for that. Three weeks prior to that, I stepped on a pressure plate and detonated an IED on a dismounted patrol that was about five, 10 feet away from me. So I had received a, um, what they call a traumatic brain injury as a result of that. Uh, and I was pretty sleep deprived after that. As a leader, you know, you don't wanna say, hey, I'm having an issue here. So I just kind of fought through it. Should I have been the person in the lead of the convoy? You know, that was what I thought to myself after we lost Doug, I should have let somebody else take point. Maybe they would have found the IED. So I had a lot of what they call survivor's guilt. You know, it's, it's one thing to, you know, take the life of an enemy of the United States or somebody who's trying to kill you, but when you feel responsible for losing one of your own people, that's really tough to deal with. That's pretty common in, in the military, a lot of, a lot of survivor's guilt. Um, and also in like command structures, because you're making decisions that lead to the end of, end of life for some of your subordinates. 
so I, I had a lot of that guilt um, and I didn't sleep. I was very sleep deprived. Every time I would close my eyes, I would hear that IED blast go off and I'd be up. My heart's doing about a hundred. I'm doing cardio like instantly. My heart's going 160 beats a minute. And I'm like, what the heck is going on with me? At the end of my deployment, my, I got a red cross notice. My mom had died. I think that was a straw that broke the camel's back. I, I didn't get to say goodbye to her. So I, I find myself back in Alaska and then I'm like literally drinking myself to sleep. Uh, the first night I got back there, that's what I did. I went and got a case of beer and drank until I passed out. And then I realized, oh, I can't sleep. So that was kind of like my routine. And that went on for about 11 months. But the nightmares were so bad. And you know, as a leader, I know what PTSD is because we have to be aware of it for our men. But we don't expect anything like that to happen to us. You know, we're, we're stronger than that. You know, that's what we tell ourselves. I just kind of got tired. You know, I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have any kids. And, you know, I was a mama's boy. My mom was gone. And I'm like, you know what? If this is the rest of my life, I am not interested. And I had made a decision. You know, do I ask for help? No, I can't ask for help because I'll lose the faith of my command. I'll lose the faith of my men. It sounded better to me to to take my own life versus um, ask for help. It was March 2nd, 2013. And I had a rifle sitting in the corner of my room and I just looked at it and I'm like, well, one second, it's done. And then I heard the kids in the apartment above me, they're running across their floor, my ceiling. And I'm like, what the heck am I thinking here? Uh, I had no desire to hurt a kid or one of their parents or whatever. So I said, not this way, not today. And they passed out. And the next morning at 830, I get a phone call. Uh, One of my soldiers called me and said, hey, Sergeant Jarvis, did you hear about Corey? And I'm like, no, buddy, what's going on? Corey shot and killed himself last night. And Corey was in the platoon I had just come out of, 22-year-old. He was a dad. He was a, a husband. And nobody had a clue that he was even struggling. And then I realized, well, crap, nobody knows that I'm even struggling. So dealing with a memorial service that week, you know, seeing how it affected the other men, I realized that that could no longer be an option for me. So I just continued. I would drink a lot just to sleep and, you know, I'd, I'd self-isolate. I really didn't want to be around crowds. Fast forward, I had surgery on my left shoulder. And then the next year I'd have surgery on the other shoulder. And then that's when they said, we're going to request the you be evaluated for a medical evaluation board because we need healthy NCOs to do your job, which I understood totally. If, if you're not physically capable of doing that job, you, you got to put somebody else that can. So they did the surgery, they did the evaluation, and the doctors decided that, you know, at the time I was 42, um, three surgeries in the infantry, you know, they're like, we appreciate your, your service, but it's time for you to retire. So they retired me. And then I just found myself a civilian, you know, I took off the uniform, you know, and then it was like, now what? I'd owned a condo in Winter Haven. Uh, my vehicles were paid for. I didn't have any debts. So, and now I had retirement. Uh, but the cycle just continued self-medication, self-medication. And, you know, I, I decided that I had to do something. So and I started working on my physical health and then spiritual. You got, it's a whole thing. You, you mind, body and spirit. You got to take care of all of it. You know, and I started feeling a little bit better, but I'm now still having issues. And then I ended up going back. I decided, you know, what, I'm just going to go back in, into law enforcement. So I went back to the sheriff's office. But in a uniform, wearing a gun, doing a, doing a function like that, you're operating in what they call fight or flight. So you feel normal. You know, a lot of guys that deploy, they want to go right back because they feel normal when they're deployed. 
Uh, I ended up meeting my wife, Gwinnell. We were married on April 16th, uh, 2016. I did another year with the sheriff's office and I had some back problems due to the injuries and I would have sciatic pain to the point where I'd literally have to lift my leg into the patrol car. And I just realized, you know, at that time I'm like 44 years old and I'm, I'm getting in foot chases with 20 year old, you know, crank addicts. I'm like, the heck am I doing? You know, time to start acting my age. And my wife and I, we talked about, you could just go ahead and retire and do something different. You know, more I thought about it, the better that idea became. Put in my papers, retired. And then it was like, okay, now what? You know, now that whole transition things is happening all over again. Um, and you, the, the old term, the, the idle mind is the devil's playground. You know, that's when uh, PTSD gets really, really bad when you have nothing but time. Uh, because what happens is post-traumatic stress is nothing more than the memory in the base part of the brain that where your amygdala is that's your fight or flight response. So think about it as a kid, right? You burn your hand on a candle, it hurts and you know, never to put your hand in fire again for the rest of your life. Cause that's where that information stores. It's the same thing with traumatic memories. So now you have e easy access to it all the time. So with nothing to do, thoughts are constantly popping in your mind. You don't have the things to distract you to keep your mind away from that. And then the nightmares came back and the night sweats got so bad. I mean, I would literally wake up and the sheets were like soaking wet. So I started the process. I went to the VA and of course the VA says, Hey, you have post-traumatic stress disorder with major depressive disorder. You know, and then they started therapy. And of course the VA's model of therapy is talking about a specific event from beginning to end repetitively and what it does is it physiologically takes you right back into the emotional state of the event. The VA had canceled a couple of the appointments for me. First cancellation was after my third session and I couldn't get back in for four weeks. And then I went one time again and then another time and then they canceled a, another appointment and I couldn't get in for eight weeks. Now, mind you, this is supposed to be once a week for 12 to 16 weeks and it's one event at a time. And then you're thinking, let's see, I've, been deployed 27 months. I got a lot more than just one event. This is going to take forever. Um, so I just stopped going to the VA and I quit. They never called back to find out where I was. The cracks are so wide, you just fall right through them. And then when you really look at the numbers, suicides in the veteran population is 22 a day. All right. That's a lot. That's in the United States. The 2017 numbers were 47,000 Americans committed suicide. That's like an entire football stadium. Uh, and then we're looking at first responders and we're losing more first responders to suicide than we are line of duty deaths every year. You know, I started looking for solutions and what, what do I do? So I went through different types of treatment. I went through EMDR. Then I went through what's called accelerated resolution therapy. My wife ended up bringing a gentleman to the sheriff's office. She's a, an administrator with the sheriff's office and she takes care of the leadership training every year. He invited us to go out to dinner and I went out and I started talking with him. You know, of course, he's a lieutenant colonel. I'm a sergeant first class. So we're like, who's this guy? You know, just typical military stuff. But he, he said some things that kind of resonated and invited me to go to an event that he hosted. It was a, a men's leadership retreat. And that was at that meeting or at that weekend that I met a gentleman from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he was a very, I was sitting on a, um, it, was, it was kind of funny because PTSD thing, you, you tend to self-isolate. So there's this whole group of people inside the building, you know, talking, communicating. 
and I'm sitting out on the picnic table by myself. I honestly didn't want to be there. I, I did it for, you know, my wife and I was just curious, I think. And this gentleman, he was a Air Force veteran named Tom Padilla comes out and just starts talking to me about things that he's doing with PTSD research. And he's like, I can't really tell you exactly how it works. I just know that it works. And so, I mean, I'm, my interest was piqued and he was telling me what it was called. And so I developed a relationship with him and talked to him quite a bit over the weekend. You know, that, at that event, I realized I want to work with veterans and first responders. And I had, that's the first time, you know, I was listening to one of the talks. It was funny because the guy running the program says, Dan, you look like you have something you want to say. And I just looked at him. I said, 22-0. He's like, what's that? And I said, we're losing 22 veterans a day in the United States of suicide. We're going to take it to zero. And of course, everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. You know, that's a huge, huge undertaking. You know, and then it just happened. And then I went home. I told my wife, this is what we got to do. And I started the nonprofit. We filed for 501c3. We self-funded it. And then we're like, okay, I just started this organization. What am I going to do now? So I started posting videos. The scariest thing in the world was when I recorded a video of myself and it was about 11 minutes long and I'm going to put it on my Facebook and I'm like, I don't want to put this out there. These are all my army buddies. You're going to see this, you know, and I put it out there and it got shared a bunch of times. And all of a sudden there's like 10,000 views on this thing. And I got people calling me, sending me messages. And I was like, okay, we can be a connection point. We can stand in the gap and provide assistance to people by connecting them with resources. We started finding organizations that would pay for treatment. Then we started finding, and then I got invited to Albuquerque, and that's when I went through the RTM myself. Since then, I'm like, why is this not everywhere? That's what I told the, uh, Dr. Burke. I said, why is this not everywhere? You know, I just went through 45 minutes on a significant traumatic event, which I can now talk about with no trauma associated to it. I don't understand this. What the treatment does is it bookends the traumatic event and it lets your brain unconsciously know, hey, wait a minute, there's a start to the event, there's an end to the event, and it's an old event. And that's when the brain says, this time out, the amygdala is not for this purpose. And it takes that memory and it reconsolidates it, it moves it, splits the emotion and sends the emotion to the emotion side of the brain and it sends the memory to the memory side of the brain. You have the event, it happened, it doesn't change but you now no longer have that immediate access to it. So nightmares go away, flashbacks go away, intrusive thoughts go away, all the negative emotions associated with it go away. And then you can tell the event, like it's a matter of going to the store. We started doing a lot of fundraising, um, getting counselors involved, trying to get counselors to get trained. We paid for a lot of training for counselors. And then that would give us people to send people to. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. We're, we're just kind of got, taking it to the next level. You know, we're getting ready to start training first responders. And I'm excited to do that because, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for a cop to talk to another cop versus a cop to a counselor. Sky's the limit. We're going to start healing as many people as we can. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing your story. And just to hear kind of, you know, how hard it was for you to share it that first time, but then how you've shared it over and over and now it's a way that you are able to help so many people. It's really, really cool. Power is in a story. Yeah. And you're a great storyteller. And I think it does bring a ton of people, a ton of hope, which is really cool. So one thing you said earlier is kind of talking about those decision makers and those leaders. And so over in 
Afghanistan for you, it was a life or death situation, which is crazy. Huge. A lot of anxiety associated with that, I'm sure. But even if we're talking about entrepreneurs and business leaders, there's still huge decisions that need to be made each day. It might not be life or death, but there are people's lives, employees, people in the community, their family that are affected by these decisions. And there can be a lot of anxiety associated with that as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned with the role that anxiety plays in decision-making? The biggest problem with making bad decisions is typically uh, fear-based decision-making. You know, I think we're seeing firsthand how critical the entrepreneurial world is now uh, versus before COVID-19. The engine of business is what drives everything. You can't fund a military if you don't have people to pay taxes. So it's very critical what entrepreneurs do and what they bring to the table. So anxiety in everyday decisions, we're seeing businesses closing their doors. They may never reopen. Uh, we're seeing people who are in service industries and no longer have tables to wait and they have kids to feed. You know, we, we are seeing how anxiety is playing out on a massive scale from senior level positions down to entry level positions. The, the stress that's coming with that is causing people to react differently than what they should. Fear will always make you make bad decisions. You cannot make fear-based decisions, especially in the workplace. So my advice to entrepreneurs is you've got to manage your emotions. And then by managing your emotions, you can help manage the emotions of the people that you work directly with. A friend of mine in Orlando, his neighbor down the street from him had a son that was 22 years old, lost his job because of COVID and ended up taking his own life. We're seeing huge um, impacts emotionally, mental health wise, but you've got to take control of your own mental health, especially when you're making decisions that affect the lives of other people. And if you're responsible for a salary, a payroll, your decisions are affecting the men and women that work for you. So you've got to make decisions that are based on rational decision-making versus fear-based decision-making. Yeah, I love that. Moving forward, as we look more toward the future, what are some steps that people can take to overcome stress? There's, there's ways to manage that. We look at the emotions and there's a, there's a process that we can do that's similar to like the RTM for PTSD, but you can clear negative emotions of like anger, sadness, fear, shame, and hurt in about 30 to 40 minutes. But those are things you kind of need to be guided through the process to do. Also, physically, you've got to take care of your body physically. Um, whenever you're in a, an emotional state, key thing is you got to be able to break that state. First thing you can do is be active physically. You know, go for a walk, go for a jog, go to the gym, because it's really hard to stay in your emotions when you're focusing on lifting weights or you're focusing on running. And then there's a really cool technique that we use, and you'll do something. It's as simple as this. Can you see your phone number up in the air? Can you read it backwards to me? And what that reading the number backwards does is it gets you into your logic side of the brain and it gets you out of your emotion side of the brain. Uh, also behaviors like people tend to look down when they're sad. If you get them to look up, just a simple thing like looking up is another technique to get them to get out of that emotional state or even eye movements. If you're really stressed out, look at the corner of your room and then just keep going back and forth between the left and the right side of your room. And those are just ways that'll help calm you back down. And also breath work. We encourage a lot of breath work. 
Uh, we work on something called belly breathing, where you get the whole diaphragm to open up. So basically you, you inhale and get as much oxygen into the lower part of your belly as possible. And you're literally getting three times the amount of oxygen because that's where the bulk of your lungs are. And as you bring that in, you can do what we call box breathing, where you're literally holding your breath. You're, you're inhaling for four seconds. You're holding your breath for four seconds. You're exhaling for four seconds. As you're exhaling though, you compress your belly to your spine so that all that air is going out. And as you compress that belly to the spine, you're compressing the vagus nerve. That's the nerve going up the center of the body. That component alone can reduce cortisol by up to 30%. Cortisol is our stress hormone. And then you'll see that stress component, that anxiety will just stop. It'll, it'll literally shut it off. Um, so those are techniques that you can do. Yeah. So if you are talking about somebody who's leading a team, like mm -hmm. what are some ways practically that they can help care for the mental health of their, the people on their team? Well, the, the biggest thing they can do is crush the stigma associated with mental health. We're finding more and more of even those in the first responder in the military world had what we call adverse childhood experiences. And I know everybody can understand what that means, whether they witness violence in the home, drugs in the home, getting bullied at school, all of those things drive trauma later down the road. It's something that affects everybody. I think the actual numbers are between nine and 11 million Americans suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, be willing to talk to your people, get one-on-one, -on -one, know what, what makes them tick, embrace the facts that, you know, they may be struggling. Be aware of the signs of stress and help those that, that work with you to overcome the stress because also, ultimately what that's going to do is going to give a better job performance. And if your employees are given better job performance, you're going to get better results uh, mm -hmm. on your bottom line. So definitely take care of your, your people that way. Yeah, for sure. So you shared a little bit earlier kind of about starting your 501c3. So you've been able to help a lot of others come from where you've been and regain hope in their lives as well. What is just the most important things that you can share with other entrepreneurs regarding their own mental health? You have to realize you're a human and we are not indestructible beings. And a lot of people are really good at managing their own stress. But I would say probably 30% of the population really struggles with how to manage the stress. I thought I was the only person in the world feeling the way I was feeling when I was going through it. Uh, that sense of feeling like you're alone. And I've talked with other, other guys and girls. You could go into a Walmart full of people and you still feel like you're, you're the only one there. And you have to understand that you're not alone, uh, that you have to be willing to say, hey, time out here. I need, I need some assistance. And that's okay. You know, there's a lot of qualified counselors out there that can help you circumvent emotions that you're going through. If it's trauma related, like you're having nightmares and flashbacks and that thing, uh, I would probably try to find somebody that does the RTM and our website has the list of the national counselors. We're able to do this stuff remotely too. So just because somebody may not be in your area, you know, there's, there's somebody out there. That's great. Thanks for all this that you've shared. I think your vulnerability is inspiring and helping tons of people. And it's really cool that you're out doing the work that you're doing because it's making a huge impact. So thank you for sharing with us. And kind of our last question that we ask people is, 
are you reading or listening to anything right now that you would recommend to others? Yes, I am reading a book by Simon Sinek called The Infinite Game. Before the lockdown, I, I went to visit a friend of mine up in Boston, and we saw him give a presentation on, on that concept. And it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, but it's a great book. In, the Infinite Game is basically, you know, take Apple, for example. They're constantly changing their products, all right, because they're in it for the Infinite Game. Whereas, look at Sears and Roebuck. They were the original catalog company, but they played a finite game and they basically went out of business because of that finite game. They could no longer adapt. They, they, this is our model. This is what we want. So I like the infinite game because it's, it's helping um, people to understand that they can evolve. It's all about the services that you provide and making them better constantly. You know, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're learning new techniques to help with different things. And it's, it's super cool. So yeah, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Highly recommend it. Great. I'll have to check it out. And it sounds like in a fun way, it kind of correlates to everything that you do, reminding people that you can keep changing and getting better. And mm -hmm. that's really powerful. So thank you again for taking the time to do this and being willing to share your story with others. I love the impact that you have on people and we love having you as part of our community. So thanks, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Dan Jarvis. Before we go any further, if you or someone you know is struggling with PTSD, addictive behavior, depression, or anything else that was mentioned in this episode, you can reach out to Dan personally to learn more about the RTM protocol and potentially get help for free through 220. Dan's email is dan, D-A-N, at the number 22zero.org. And you can learn more at their website, which is 22zero.org. Additionally, Dan and his team recently added medical staff to their mission. So if you know anyone struggling through what they have experienced while serving patients in this pandemic, they would love to help. And if you know of anybody that could be benefited by listening to what Dan just shared, don't forget to send them this episode. Other than that, remember to find ways to care for your body, mind, and spirit as you keep making headway.